0: world will not get better unless we empower our young people to make it so. If we purely focus on kids getting just GCSE grades or whatever, then you just miss so much that is just as important, if not more important, than achieving those grades.
1: Welcome to Rethinking Education. Education's Critical Friend.
2: Hello, my fathomless friends. Welcome to episode 35 of the Rethinking Education podcast. Today, I am delighted to be able to share with you my recent conversation with Andy Sprakes, one of the founders of XP School in Doncaster. I also had the opportunity to speak with two students from the school, Declan and Guraj, who were absolutely lovely and insightful as you will soon discover. There's been a lot of interest in XP school in recent months, partly following a very complimentary profile of the school that was published in the Sunday Times Magazine. The headline of that article was, is XP the school of the future? And the rest of the article is basically a big yes, or at least I sincerely hope so, and the near future at that. I'll link to that article in the show notes, but it is paywalled, unfortunately. In case you haven't heard of XP School before, it's a free school that was set up in 2014 by two teachers, Andy Sprake's and Gwynap Harry, who were inspired to do so following a visit to some innovative schools in the U.S., notably High Tech High in San Diego and Rumberger's Expeditionary Learning Schools. They do things very differently at XP. The curriculum is organised into cross-curricular expeditions. Their pastoral system, the thing that they refer to as crew, is second to none. And their results are astonishing. And they've been rated by Ofsted as being outstanding across the board. Something I've started to think about more recently is the importance of place in education. Partly because Tim Brighouse and Mick Waters talk about it in their recent book, About Our Schools which is something of a magnum opus, by the way, and highly recommended. Mick and Tim will be coming on the podcast soon to talk about it. So if you want to read it before then, I recommend that you start soon because it is a bit of a whopper. Anyway, this idea of the importance of place comes through really strongly in this conversation with Andy. Following our brief conversation with Declan and Garage at the start of the podcast, We go back to the beginning and talk about the history of Andy's life and work in Doncaster and indeed the history of Doncaster more widely before we get on to talking about the school itself. And I think it's important to do so because it comes through really strongly that XP has deep roots in the history of Doncaster itself. I think this importance of place has been overlooked in some of the recent reforms to education in England, with academy chains comprising schools that are often scattered widely across the country. I also think this needs to be thought about very carefully in any attempts to replicate XP in other locations. While we're on the topic of academy chains, towards the end of our conversation, for some reason, I suggested that some academy chains have over 600 schools in them. I have no idea where I got this from, but it turns out that I was wrong by roughly an order of magnitude. The largest has 76 schools and most are far smaller. So apologies in advance or perhaps in hindsight for that. Before we get into the conversation, it is incumbent upon me to draw your attention to the Rethinking Education Conference, which will be at the beautiful Addie and Stanhope School on Saturday, the 17th of September, 2022, later this year. Speaker applications are now open, online or face to face, and we're running a 20% discount for friends of the podcast. Just enter Repod20, R E P O D, lowercase, two zero. There are also links in the show notes where you can join the Rethinking Education Mighty Network, the 500-strong global community that's grown up around this podcast. And if you'd like to share your appreciation in some way, you can either become a patron of the podcast, there are various benefits associated with doing so, or you can buy me a coffee should you feel generous. It's also greatly appreciated when people write nice things about this podcast, giving it a five-star rating on whatever platform you're using and sharing it with your friends and so on. So please do that if you can. Okay, I will now hand over to my recent conversation with Andy, Declan, and Garage. I hope you enjoy the show. Declan, and Garage, and Andy Sprakes, welcome to the Rethinking Education podcast.
0: Hello.
2: <laughs> it's great to have you so I'm going to start just by asking some questions to you Deck and Garage um, the The first question is can you run me through a typical day at XP
3: well so just overall the day how it goes out just a normal normal day yeah Yeah. so so we start at half past 8 we're going to our crew um, and crews basically in other schools, it's a bit like a tutor, but in ours, it's called a crew. So there's 15 a year group, and there's 12 or 13 in each crew, and there's four four crews per per full year group. So we're in there 45 minutes discussing the timetable, any issues we've got, anything, anything, whatever, basically whatever we want. And then there's certain days that the crew leader will plan something for us to do. And then after crew, we go straight into uh, session one. So we have session one. Then it's a uh, break time. then we have two sessions after break, dinner and then two sessions after dinner and then it's over.
2: Okay, great, thank you. And can you tell me a bit more about crew? Maybe I'll put this one to you, Garage. Like, what what happens in there? Are these are they are these structured sessions? Because, like you say, it's a bit like form tutors that that have that other schools have. But forty five minutes is quite a long time. It's usually like in and out in ten minutes, and they just take a register and do some announcements. So, what what happens in these crew sessions? Um.
1: So you get your crew on your first day at XP and that crew stays with you until year 11 including the crew leader which is like the teacher of the crew um and in crew you kind of just will work on any presentations that we have anything that's coming up um anything that's been raised in community meeting which we have every friday which is where the students make apologies appreciations stands and pledges to each other so if somebody has for example made an apology in community meeting and um, the crew would hold them to account for that to make sure that they've meant their apology and followed through their pledge and um, we also do lots of team building activities so we'll go over to the sports hall and um, do any activities that we want there and it's really just quite a chilled out session to talk about any issues um, what's going to happen throughout the day and yeah
2: Right okay and so that's a separate thing on a Friday afternoon did you say where you do these apologies and appreciations
3: Yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah, So this is a whole school thing so I mean, we're at XP so all the years so there 250 of us and all the teachers coming to uh, the heart of the school the main part of the school we all sit on these stairs and either mr sprakes or mr portman or someone will run this and we go and we and then that's where we talk about our apologies appreciations and stands in front of the whole school
2: and and so i understand what apologies and appreciations are what are stands
3: so say people say so for example if people are messing around in class and it's not being dealt with or, well, it's been dealt with, but not. you're not happy with the situation, then you can bring that up again in community meetings to make your point that you're still not happy with it or you're not happy with the situation elsewhere, and then the teachers could then go on and do something about that.
1: It's just an opportunity for like the students to have a voice and like make anything heard that they feel like they're not being heard for, and then something would be done after community meeting about it the student who maybe is disrupting the class would make a pledge which they would have to do something in order to show that they mean their apology and their crew would hold them to account for that
2: i see okay right so there's like public accountability here so you're sort of saying you know like reflecting on what's gone going wrong in in the past and or things that you would do differently if you had your time again and you 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 know making pledges for the future so a stand is is it as in sort of like taking a stand as in like i want to make make this point publicly
3: yeah yeah
2: yeah okay right amazing and so um let's i want to ask you about expeditions next can you tell me about that because that's something that's quite unique to xp isn't it um let's go with you uh, deck and then and then garage
3: well so an expedition, so at the start of an expedition, we have immersion, which is where we immerse ourselves in the, some of the content that then we're going to cover in the expedition. So they throw what they call curveballs out and we have to see um, all these different things to do with the expedition. It all links to the expedition in a certain way. So this is normally for about the first week where we learn about this. And then at the end of the week, normally on the Friday, we then discuss what the expedition could be titled and what the guiding question could be. So, um, we get the guiding question then, and the title then, which could could be anything, but it's all linked to what we've been doing in that week.
2: Right. Okay. And and so, like, and um, um, when when you say expeditions, what what exactly is this? Is this like literally going out on an expedition, like hiking or something?
1: Um. So it's it's kind of like a topic that you would study maybe in a term. So. You get your, as Dex said, you get your guiding question at the start of the expedition after immersion. And then um, you strive for that guiding question to be answered at the end of your expedition. So you do like a final product. This could be like a speech we've done, documentaries in the past, talk to public, make art pieces, anything like that. and. That kind of rounds off the expedition shows you're learning off to the outside world and you answer that guiding question through the, your product
2: I see so 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 it's essentially like a project is that is that fair to say like an expedition is basically like a long term project and it could take a number of different forms so it's not necessarily going out into the wilderness it's like it's, it could like you say making a film or like build, making some product or something
1: yeah they cross over um all our different subjects too so uh, you wouldn't just have an english um expedition it would be linked to science in some way or it would be linked to art in some way so they all kind of interlink which um helps us to answer the guiding question at the end
2: i got you okay and so so I think I was just got a bit confused by the language there because like normally the word expedition sort of means like going on an expedition with like maps and compasses and stuff. But am I right in thinking that there is an element of that as well? Like at the start of the year, is there? Do you go away and on residentials and things?
3: So one big one is in year seven when we first come to the school, out of COVID and everything, obviously we go to uh, Wales for a week where we meet all our people in our year, get to know them. And there we go out on canoes, kayaks, and do all outdoor activities there to get to know everyone. And then that's also where, that's also, we're putting our crews in and we're with our crews all the way through that kind of small expedition, but in Wales.
2: I see. Okay, right, I've got you. And that's just at the start of year seven, is it?
3: yeah so we get we also get the guiding question what is crew before we go to Wales and then that's where we're built we're working towards that throughout that week in Wales in our crew and we're answering, we're answering what is crew to then go forward when we get back in school
2: right yeah have got you okay and just to get a sense could you give me maybe one each like can can both of you share like an example of an expedition like maybe your favorite one that you've done uh, in terms of the the, the project-type things that you work on?
1: Um, so, my favourite expedition was, it might be the same for you, yeah. but it was um, titled, Should I Stay or Should I Go? And the guiding question was, why should we care about migration? So, basically, for our final product of the expedition, we made a documentary that was premiered in um, our local theatre, and it was all about meeting migrants from different countries, learning their stories, kind of understanding the false media that is presented to us and um, just building those relationships with something called the Conversation Club, which we have in Doncaster, which is where all the migrants meet and uh, do things like learn English and get education and things like that so that was my favorite because it kind of had, all our expeditions have a meaning behind them at the end we don't just do it to fill in the curriculum it's it kind of like widens our knowledge of um like the outside world
2: yeah thank you love it and and i understand that yes so like authentic projects like, like things that are like mean something in the real world rather than like you say just like making a poster that ends up going in the recycling
3: yeah, because overall, it's just building us for life after school. So it's putting, so it's letting us know what is happening in the world, and that quite a lot of stuff isn't actually always true. It's just what people think. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, what would what would your favourite one be, Dick?
3: Well, that that was that was one of the best ones, to be fair. So it'd probably be that one as well. But we did one. Was it called Colour the World with Kindness? Yeah. And this was one of our first ones in Year Seven. So and we went to uh, Age UK and worked with those in Doncaster, we went to, uh, where, where was it that we went um, see the elderly? Where was that?
1: We just went to like elderly homes and things like that. We built up relationships yeah. with them and then the final product.
3: Yeah, And the final product of that was that we built kindness boxes. Because we'd, be, we'd been to see these elderly people, a few times during the expedition and we learned what they liked and what the passions and stuff were so then for our final products we made kindness boxes with stuff in that they enjoyed and liked
2: right uh love it and that that leads nicely into my next question which is about the school's motto being above all compassion like that's not a (laughs) normal that's not a normal motto that a school would have what does that what does that mean to you that that phrase let's go garage first
1: um, so, at XP, it's really kind of based on character growth and how you are as a person. So, we have um, howls, which is work hard, get smart, and be kind, which we strive to like accomplish those in every um, session, and then we also have character traits, which include things like compassion integrity craftsmanship and quality respect respect things like that so above all compassion means that um no matter what you do in life and where you head after school that should be at the top of your agenda to be compassionate to everyone because that will help you in everything else
2: Mm, what a brilliant answer do you have anything to add to that day
3: no, uh, not
2: really. <laughs> I think you can't. You can't. You can't beat perfection, can you? That was a. That was a brilliant answer. <laughs> thank you. Um, also, I was really interested in this thing of solos. Can you tell me about solos?
1: Um, so solos are. We mainly do solos in crew, and it's basically where you and your crew go. It's normally outside and you find a quiet spot. So when we were in Wales, for example, we were at the top of the mountain and we found a quiet spot by ourselves and we were just given a sheet of paper and we just had to reflect on our time so far and um, what we'd learned about crew so far because obviously it was our first week. So it's it's just a time for reflection by yourself and then you can choose whether to share that with your crew or not, but it's just a way to kind of get your mind working about what you've been doing recently, and yeah.
3: Yeah, I also uh, find it as a time to look back to see how far you've come, but then also to see where you're going next in your chapter.
2: Yeah, and so it's for, for quite a while, isn't it? Isn't it like an hour and a half or something that you sit alone for?
3: Well, yeah, it can be an hour and a half. I think it's only about an hour as well. Into yeah, yeah. right. Fascinating. It it. Normally, it's about forty-five minutes, half an hour. They to can vary depending yeah.
1: depending on what you're doing in that solo, what you're reflecting on. They vary.
3: Okay, and how often would a solo
2: happen?
1: Um, they happen occasionally. Obviously, um, more towards like the end of an expedition yeah. or the end of a topic that you're studying. in Crew, so. They, there's not a set time when you do solos, they just kind of happen randomly when, if and when it seems appropriate to do.
2: Okay, but you, so you might do, for example, what, like two or three a year or something like that? Yeah, that, yeah probably. I mean,
0: uh, yeah, I mean, just coming in there, James, It, it uh, they tend to be linked to um, the start of the year as well, like Deg was talking about, that kind of reflecting on what's gone before and what's coming next. And so we have a week at the beginning of each year where we're in crew for, our first week back is always in crew. So just like year seven go away and climb mountains and then come back <laughs> and climb some more in school, yeah. uh, we kind of reboot that every year, so crew is rebooted. And that's where we tend to place solos. Um, but they can come throughout the year as well. It, yeah. it just depends on what, yeah. what you're doing as a crew. and if it's I program.
2: see. So, so the start of each year group. So the start of each year for each year group, there's a whole week of crew. Is that what you said?
3: Yeah, yeah. Because in that week, sometimes that's where you could see us doing the other expeditions. Into sometimes we do quite often. We do go out for walks and a lot of team building challenges during them weeks. But maybe because crew's been apart obviously for the holidays and stuff, just to re bring everyone back together and get everyone in the mind back in for school. Mm
2: yeah thank you, okay. I've just got a couple more questions if I may. I don't want to take up too much of your time. One is about and this might be a hard question for you to answer, but I was just wonder like what's your understanding of like how x p is different to other schools?
1: Um well, obviously this is the first secondary school I've ever known, so we kind of um aren't really used to the traditional secondary schools around Doncaster, but I think that XP is more based on how you are as a person, not just prepare for this test, prepare for that test. Um, It shows you that if you do work on yourself and build up your character, then, um, and you're more confident and you're able to talk to people, then you can build up those relationships ready for later life.
3: Yeah, so from like what I know from my friends and stuff, from. Many other schools, they're all targeting working towards GCSEs, whereas yeah, we are in this school, but also looking beyond that into further life, into your adulthood, and what you can build on from there. Hmm.
2: Fascinating. Okay, so and my last question is, um, what do you enjoy most about life at XP?
1: Um. What do I enjoy most? I think. Probably the crew aspect of XP, because um, crew are the closest people to you in the school. And um, I feel like the way XP is built, it just kind of, everything fits together from products to what we do in the curriculum, the impact on the community, everything like that. It kind of fits together. So um, changing one thing will kind of mess up the, the whole aspect of xp so i feel like interlinking Mm -hmm. is important
2: thank you and what about you deck what's your favorite thing
3: about xp well like a lot of other schools there's no uniform at this school which is a good thing i'm not just saying this because you can dress in what you want but it allows you like i said for after school as well because you can dress for the occasion and express yourself in that occasion so if we've got a Presentation, or learning, or a product, or we're showing our work to the public, then you wouldn't just turn up in your ordinary everyday clothes. You'd come in, you'd dress smarter as you're dressing for that occasion. So it allows you really to choose and think of what's best for the time. Like
1: you do life too. So if you were going for like an interview or something, you wouldn't turn up in what you wore every day. It's kind of training us to be adults
2: and to dress for the occasion that's a fascinating aspect that I've never even thought about before when like, people just think oh like non-uniform everyone's just going to dress really scruffily and what have you but, uh, but I haven't thought about that that it gives you the choice to think oh okay I've got a big deal today I'm going to stick a stick a shirt and tie on or something um, how interesting yeah, and it, the 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 way that you're talking about crew, it sort of feels like you're really known at that school, with it being only fifty fifty students in a year group. Because that's another key way in which it's different. Like most secondary schools are much much bigger than that, at least double, if not sort of triple or quadruple the size. And they're quite anonymous places. I like I've worked in schools like that, and you don't know who half the kids are, and the kids don't know who half the teachers are. But it feels like, you, like a sort of like a, almost like a primary school's type size of a community where it feels like you sort of, you're known and and you're very well known by this crew that's almost like your sort of school family. Is that a fair way to put it? You think? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a really good way to
1: put it. Um, so. I feel like the kind of smaller classes, smaller crews are helpful because every student knows every teacher and you kind of get that one-to-one support if you do need it and it's kind of just a positive culture between like the students and the teachers and we do community meetings so that's the whole school coming together so you are kind of heard and known about throughout school.
2: Okay, I've actually just thought of one more question, if I may, <laughs> uh, which is, I, I know you're only in year ten, and that's like you know you're still young, you've got your whole lives ahead of you. But like, I was just wondering, do you have any sense of what you want to do um, after school?
3: Well, I'm not positively sure because I'm, I'm really sporty, so I'd like to see where my football and that takes me. But then also, I have I have a few backup plans as well, but. I always think there's, a, there's still quite a lot of time. There's time for things to change. There's time for anything that could change. So I haven't, I haven't got my mind fully fixed really on anything yet.
2: Okay, I think that's a that's a good thing. How about you, Garage?
1: Um, I'm kind of the same. I don't really know what direction I'm going in yet. Obviously, I'm just focusing on doing the best in subjects now and in GCSE. So then I do have the opportunity to go wherever down whichever avenue i choose when i do get to the time when i have to make the decision
2: yeah well i don't doubt that you're both going to go on have fascinating uh successful lives because i've just you know like your your qualities the character that you've been describing has shone through in this conversation it's been an absolute pleasure to uh to spend this little bit of time with you thank you very much indeed for uh for sharing your thoughts and experiences thank you thanks guys You can go back to Mr. (laughs) Volterno. Back to science. science. I
0: really appreciate
2: that. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you. All the best. Well, lovely kids. Yeah.
0: And they're they're typical, James. You know, they're not. I mean, they are both crap. Really, really great kids. But, you know. when, when visitors come to the school um, we always we always conduct ambassador tours so again that's part of that kind of interface with adults so all of our students do that as well so all of our students are used to talking about the school about their learning about um, you know our habits of work and learning our character traits if you'd have got, you you could have talked to those guys about rubrics now they're assessed and, and they would have been quite comfortable um, discussing that with you and that's really important isn't it the, you know I think Dex said something about being trained trained for adult life or the adult world or something didn't he which like I was saying is there, there is some truth in that you know we give our, our students those opportunities to engage and uh, interact and interface with adults um, so they're comfortable speaking in, in a variety of different situations to a, div- a variety of different audiences,
2: yeah. which is obviously
0: a key skill that you need, you know, and uh, and through building that confidence, it then, you know, makes them better problem solvers. They, they can think critically, you know, and they can do that respectfully and, uh, uh, and without, uh, you know, be, being... Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of... Um, dogmatic in their opinions and, and uh, their views you know the, the, uh, our kids are very open um, it was interesting to you know I, I just kept out of that first bit and it was really interesting to hear what how they view the school and how they view themselves in the school you know it's theirs isn't it that's that's patently obvious
2: yeah so, um, the,
0: the school is them and that's a really important thing
2: Absolutely. I mean, th- th- this is something that I've come across uh, in my own work as well. So I, about 10 years ago, I was in a school where we set up a learning to learn curriculum, which was a taught course in year seven at first. It expanded into throughout Key Stage 3 over the next few years. But we had five lessons a week with the whole of year seven. And it was there was lots of similar stuff to what you're doing. There was a huge emphasis on oracy, lots of project based learning and so on. Um, and that that the RSC bit was was the the key because th- those kids went. Uh, I, I studied this from a PhD. It was an eight year study because we followed four cohorts of kids from year seven through to year eleven. There's one control group, if you like, and then three learning to learn groups, and they they went on to achieve the best set of results that that school had ever seen by some margin, and it's and it was especially advantageous to disadvantaged kids. So that the disadvantage gap closed from the bottom up almost completely and when we talked to the kids and we had them writing in journals and stuff and we would interview them and ask like what is it like first of all do you think that these learning to learn lessons help you learn more effectively in other in other lessons and if so how and it nearly always came back that it was confidence that that confidence that they got through learning how to speak and listen and how to how to find their voice physically find their voice but also like metaphorically find their voice like to sort of to take their place in the world as it were and that confidence just spills over into so many different aspects of their life into other subject areas so that they can you know stick their hand up and get involved in a discussion and you know get their needs met but also it transformed the way that they interacted with their peers how they interacted with their families at home and so that confidence it's just like the holy grail of education to my mind like that is it if you can give a kid that they're going to be fine you know
0: Mm, absolutely you know, and that and that's um, and th- that that's how, how we develop character here. You know, we, we pay particular attention to that. It's part of our three dimensional approach, you know. I mean the the kids talked about creating products and crafting products that have a connection to the world and to their community and you know, they're both they both interestingly, they both chose expeditions that were rooted in community. I don't know if you noticed that, but yeah. the, there's the one about migration. And then and then Dec, uh, called on up from year seven, which was the kindness expedition that we do, where we where we interact with Age UK and, and we visit the elderly and we and we tell and we share their stories. So it's really interesting that it was two community-based projects that, that made a difference to our immediate community were the, the ones that, that they pulled out. I thought they might talk about more recent ones. You know they've just done some studies on are are we really free to choose? Where they look at the rise to power of Hitler and that's linked into geneticism in uh, in science. And we look at kind wow. of nature and nurture. And I thought they might, and they've written they've actually written something they've studied inspector calls as well as a as a the context for the First World War and then the, and then obviously the the rise of fascism in the through the 30, 20s and thirties into into the second world war i thought they might have chosen that because they've just that's the one that they've just done which is resulted in a in a book of poems uh, and some really beautiful artwork as well which links into their art gcse where they've been doing some work on van, van gogh and uh, reproduces some some really visceral images around conflict and horizons and all this kind of stuff so yeah but it was interesting that they chose those two
2: yeah, um, especially so as so one I of them was like them, you know. three years ago, you know, they calling that one up from year seven, as you say, it's often obviously stuck with him, this thing about kindness. And so so <laughs> I've, been, I've been really looking forward to having this conversation with you, Andy. And as you know, it's been a little while in the planning. But it's just like, so this is a long-form sure. podcast, right? And I'm I'm happy to spend as long as you've got um, to, to get the full-fat version of this story. It's just a tremendous achievement <laughs> that you've managed to produce, not just one school, but there's multiple schools now. You've got like extraordinary, so, so, some of the stuff like around teacher attendance. I don't know if it's still the case. When you wrote the book, How We XP, it says in there that teacher attendance is over ninety nine percent. That at that point you'd never had to use a supply teacher. Uh, the school's been also externally, you know, like rated uh, outstanding in all areas by Ofsted. So it's pleasing the box tickers as well as as well as you know doing all of this other stuff. So it's just a phenomenal achievement. And I'd really like to, yeah, like just to hear the whole the whole thing, and for you to start at the beginning if that's all right. Um, and and so, can I, can I actually, and when I say start at the beginning, one of the things that I, that I do in this podcast is ask people about them as people, as well as just education ideas. So, I'd like you to, if you wouldn't mind, to start at the beginning for you in terms of your own experience of education, what kind of school you went to, and your later education and route into teaching.
0: Yeah, sure, not, not a problem. Um, so, I, I, was bo- I was born in Doncaster um, and raised in Doncaster, and I went to school in Doncaster. I now live in Doncaster and I work in Doncaster, um, but my early, my early life was so, so. Place is very important to me. Um, right. I grew up in a mod- in a modest household. Um, uh, I was my dad was a, um, a bricklayer for it was the coal board when he when he first started, and then he worked for uh, Doncaster Metropolitan Borough Council as a mm-hmm. as a bricklayer. My mum uh, brought me and my brother, and then she worked in a corner shop. Um, so, you know, modest, humble beginnings, but we were, and I had a, a brother who came along uh, a little bit later as well, so there were, I, I've got two brothers. Um, uh, um, but we were, you know, we were absolutely surrounded with love, uh, and we were also surrounded with um stories with whether they were from our family or whether it was books that we got every christmas or whether it was watching tv at night and things like that my abiding memories are are of you know reading and uh, and, and watching tv and films you know saturday matinees and, and things like that all mm-hmm. the old movies uh, but doing that uh, but doing that with, with my mom and and also with my my grandma as well who was a, a big, inf- a big influence on me. Um, so, gr- so I grew up in a quite a humble, humble background. Um, went to the local primary school, um, and you know, n- although Doncaster was at that point, we had all of the pits were open. Um, we had there was quite a heavy, strong industrial base in in Doncaster. It was a typical industrial north lots of collieries in uh, in the borough right um in addition to that where the plant works as well so the railways were are really, still in full throw uh, in those days um as well as the related industries as well around that, that that kind of sprung from those two big engines of industry so we had a lot of manufacturing um ICI case international oh, wow. harvesters Crompton Parkinsons, Pilkington Glass, bride and Wire, you know, a lot. So all of my friends, there was quite a high level of, em- of employment, uh, but they were all really tough jobs, you know, and they were all very, they were all manual jobs as well. So uh, um, it, it was a, it was a, an interesting place to grow up in, really. Uh, oh. and, I, and obviously, I was a, a young. Young boy as well during the miners' strike as well. Well, Young boy, I say young boy. I was a teenager during during the miners' strike as well. So you can't, you know, I kind of got to see all of the good and all of the ills of industrialisation. Really, in terms of, you know, quite quite full employment, but also some of the dangers and issues that ran alongside that. And then sadly, the the decline of those industries as well, and the the spiralling downward, really, of communities in Doncaster who who suffered really deeply uh, because of the cuts in the late 70s and the 80s. Uh, And the most brutal thing about those, those cuts, James, was
2: that... Unfortunately, listeners, technology failed us briefly at this point in the conversation, and so we're not going to find out what the most brutal aspects of those cuts were. Instead, we'll pick up the conversation a few moments later when Andy started talking about when he later decided to go to university.
0: Yeah, so I, so I, went, to, uh, I went to Newcastle. I was just going to say my wife, actually, who is my wife now, which she wasn't then. She went to Durham and we ended up living in the northeast as well in our third year. So I've got really kind of... Fond associations and deep uh, and deep associations with with the northeast, and then as a result of that, we then so both myself and Nicola, um, we you know kind of I, I got to the end of my university life. I was doing English, a straight, a single honours English lit degree, and it was I loved every minute of it. It was fantastic, um, and then it was kind of out. Right, well, what what we're we going to do next? And Nicola said, well. She'd always wanted to be a teacher. She says, "Well, I'm going to I'm going to do a teaching PGCE," and uh, she was really resolute about that. And I kind of thought, "Well, well what am I going to do?" And I thought, "Oh well, I'm, I think I'll do that as well then." So uh, we actually stayed on and did another year, and I did my uh, teaching certificate at, uh, at Newcastle University at a school in Jesmond called Heaton Manor, and. Uh, a school in Sunderland called Monk Wearmouth. I got I got some uh, pretty cushy schools, I think, for the North But, uh, I, you know, the, the, for me, it was, I kind of fell into teaching um, and, and I fell in love with teaching as well, I think would be an accurate description. So uh, the, virtually from the first minute, as soon as I, I was with young people and I was teaching them poetry and novels and they were reacting and responding it was just it was just magical and uh, I I kind of thought this is what I I need to do this Uh, it became a bit of an imperative so I then uh, did my training up there and then we decided well what are we going to do I think we were on the cusp of staying in the northeast and then you know I had no money um so we we had to come back to Doncaster and uh and I got a teaching job in Doncaster and started my teaching career in um, an ex-mining communities, James. And uh, that was what I was talking about before around community. You know that one of the great this was in the early 90s, so uh, pits were closing rapidly. But what they but what these communities still had was they still had that con- togetherness and connectivity and soul as well, which. I really loved and, and I've continued to work in those communities throughout the whole of my 30 years in, in education.
2: Yeah. Okay, thank you. And so as I, I suppose we might be skipping forward a little bit now, but at the start of the book um in How We XP, you, you start by talking about Camps Mount. And you were you the head of that school?
0: I was. I mean it's an interesting story, Camps Mount, because I actually went there. It was my first job. Uh, so as a newly qualified teacher, I went to uh, I went to Camps Mount worked as an English teacher there, uh, and then I left and I went worked in other Doncaster schools, a school in North Nottinghamshire as well, um, and then I actually went back to Camps Mount. I'd, I'd been doing some work for a local authority on teaching and learning, and uh, I, I didn't get on with that. I, I didn't even stay a year. I, I, I enjoyed working with schools and working with other kids, but I didn't have the relationship with students that really is is so important, isn't it? Yeah. And so I applied applied for the deputy headship at Camps Mount, and I was fortunate enough to get that. And then after, I think it was about three or four years, the the head, Pete Trimingham, retired. And so the opportunity came, perhaps a little bit too soon for me in some ways, but... I loved the school so much, and loved the community that I applied and for the headship, and I was fortunate enough to to get that. And we were doing some really interesting things at Camps Mount around teaching and learning. We were doing kind of alternative, which don't sound very radical now, but uh, they were in uh, you know the kind of early two thousands, where we were we were doing kind of alternative curriculum days and immersive days for subjects. Um, and and kind of changing the dynamics of learning for for working-class kids. And and it worked for them. Um, Sometimes staff didn't get on with that uh, as well as uh, the kids did, really. But we saw some really interesting gains when we did alternative days in terms of attendance. Attendance went up. Visits to the toilet went down. uh, (laughs) Behavioural incidents went down. You know, so... uh, there was some currency in it, I think.
2: Interesting. Um, so you can see the roots of XP um, in campsmount and and then uh, disaster struck.
0: It did, yeah. I mean, devastating, really. We, we had a we had a cataclysmic fire at, at the school. They one weekend. Uh, it was a Sunday. It was a Saturday night, Saturday night into Sunday morning, and uh, because of the the rural setting of the school, the school served a mining community. Um, but it was uh, it was actually built outside of the community in this kind of wonderful uh, rural setting. And uh, so it was quite remote. Um, and unfortunately, there was an electrical fault in one of the buildings. It was an old class building as well. So it was timber frame, which we'd done a lot of work to brick skin it and all the rest of it. But uh, this fire caught and... Uh, it, I, I literally stood in the uh, school car park, James, and, and watched the school disappear in front of my eyes, you know, from block by block. It was like uh, I was in a kind of TV disaster movie or something. Um, it
2: must have been so surreal. And it, it's fascinating about the, um, the fact that you could you weren't even able to sort of contact all the parents because the ability to do that was all like inside the building.
0: Yes, it was, yeah. We'd kind of got all the servers and everything. Um, were were actually in the school uh, in fireproof cabinets, um, and the cabinets were fireproof, but unfortunately the servers inside weren't, and because of the the heat, the temperature, they melt, they just melted away. So yeah, we we didn't have any backup in those days, offsite backup. There was no cloud or anything like that. So uh, yeah, we, we, we kind of lost, lost everything. Um, and the, the the bitterest blow was losing the work that the kids had done and, and losing the buildings that had such kind of historical significance for the community you know but it brought out the best james in in the community you know i've never i've never seen or felt anything like it really in how the community of Asken council and Norton uh, which were, which fed the school how they came together and that it was just a wonderful, uh, you know, giving time, space. When we were in council buildings, the town council were brilliant. When we were in those buildings, you know, people just coming in with resources, paper, computers, laptops, boxes of books, fruit. You know, it was it was just stunning. You know, people going collecting money, coming in with bags of kind of uh coins and things like that saying we've been around community and we've, we've done this collection for you we've been in you know we've been in minor's welfare and they've all uh, they've all done this for you and it was it was staggering really and that for me james alongside those kind of interesting things we've been doing with curriculum really kind of for, formulated the the idea of culture and community being the most important things really in, in your school if yeah. you've got that you know you, you can do anything and it allows you if you've got that to do interesting things around learning as well and uh, you know so that was the start of it really yeah we kind of rebuilt the school and there's, there's loads of stories I could tell about that it was quite a fraught time uh, for a couple of years you know from Perhaps thinking that the school wasn't going to be rebuilt and having those kind of political scraps.
2: Yeah, because this was 2010, wasn't it? So change of government, the coalition government came in then, building schools for the future program was scrapped, wasn't it? it was. Um but the free school, you know, policy came in, which obviously paved the way to to um, to XP. But I understand that you were back up and teaching within about eight days, weren't you? And one of those was one of those de- delays was because of a snow day. So, <laughs>
0: yeah. well, actually, there is. A, interestingly, uh, it happened in in I think it was yeah twenty two thousand was it December two thousand nine into twenty ten. I I was getting my dates mixed up about when it actually happened. Perhaps I've tried to erase those dates from my memory, but it was a, around. It was Christmas. It happened uh, in the last week of school, just before we broke we broke up. It was that week, and and. Uh, we were actually back up and running we, we were delivering six form lessons before Christmas so so we were actually after three days I think it was we started six form sessions and then we, we put in place plans we had satellite schools all over the place it was a mothballed special school that was reopened the local authority gave us the primary local primary school gave us some classrooms um, we used uh, some business offices for six months. So it was a real community effort. But we had these different, uh, the youth centre was used as well for years 10 and 11. We got some uh, uh, porter cabins put up on, on in the youth centre kind of yard, which, which were used as well. And all that was up and running uh, for the first day back after Christmas. Uh, so it was a Herculean effort, really. Uh, and, it, and it was the winter when we had really, really heavy snow in the north. And uh, I can remember that on the first day back, um, I think, and I could be wrong, so I apologise if I am to any of my other head teacher colleagues out there, that on that, on that day, Campsman was the only school that was open. But I think the, the other schools had closed because of the snow. It was really bad as well, but we were kind of dogged in <laughs> our determination that we were going to open. And and we had uh, and we had uh, you know it was ridiculous attendance. It was like ninety nine percent attendance or something.
2: Oh my goodness! So the kids kind of
0: showed how important the school was to them. And um, so
2: did did the school get a building again? Does Camps Mount still exist? Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. We
0: I mean we actually ended up. Um, uh, you know, I did quite quite a lot of manoeuvring around because you're quite right. We we were going to be rebuilt. We'd agreed with the local authority, with the council, that we were going to be rebuilt, and they were going to draw down the money from um, building schools for the future because we were on wave 24 or something. And they were and that they'd actually agreed with I think it was Partnership for Schools then, which was the the, the body that dealt with the building of schools, the, the government agency. To, to draw down some of the funding that was in the pipeline that had been promised in order for us to rebuild Campsmount. And just as I was about to sign that contract, like you say, there was a change in government and uh, the Secretary of State at that time was uh, a guy called Michael Gove, you might remember him. Uh, and he stood up in Parliament and said that Building Schools for the Future was stopped. Yeah. there no building programme at all. And so that then left us in limbo so after we'd kind of we'd got the go from from the previous government and from uh, the council that we were going to be rebuilt, we, we then got this stop, and uh, so you know I, I worked as hard as I could to try and plead our case to the uh, to the DFE, and fortunately we, we went on to a it was called the James Review and it was about how how the new government the coalition government were looking at how could we build schools but how could we perhaps be a little bit more cost effective than they were alleging building building schools for the future was um, and we actually managed to uh, to get onto that program and uh, we worked with a company called Waits to to rebuild the school and we I did. It was, it was a cracking, and it's a great school. I mean, uh, a lot of the a lot of the building ideas that we used at Camps Mount we then incorporated into XP because it was, you know, fairface block work. We, we want, you know, you know, quite quite utilitarian in look, but also has an aesthetic beauty. Some of the um, workings of the school expose that in kind of industrial way. So uh, yeah, fortunately the school was rebuilt and and it's thriving. So uh, really, really proud of my part, my small part in in the history of that of that school and and its continuing success. I'm, I'm pleased to say.
2: Yeah, that's great to hear. And so and so, let's get into the roots of XP. So in the book, um, you talk about a breathless phone call that you got from Gwyn. So we should probably mention Gwyn, who was your your co-founder. And did you work with him at Campsmount? Or did you do you guys go back a long way?
1: Yeah. Well,
0: yeah. I mean. Um, towards the end of my time at Camps Mount, that, that's right I mean meeting Gwyn perhaps a lot of people say this uh, ch- obviously ch- changed my life um but yeah it was that breathless phone call but I, I had I had a, a working relationship and, and a personal relationship with Gwyn for a few years it was actually I mentioned um, the previous head at Campsmount when he retired he, uh, he we worked for the specialist schools and academies trust and as a consultant head and uh, I actually got a call from him in the first instance, before this was before the fire. Um, and he said, oh, I've got this guy from Doncaster who's uh, really interesting guy. He's got this computer software company, um, uh, but he's a teacher and he, he really wants to get back into teaching, but he wants particularly to, to, be, to lead schools. And he's trying, to, he's trying to find a school that might sponsor him to do his MPQH. And uh, I think perhaps he'd approached some schools and, and, and not wanted to engage with him. And uh, I said, yeah, sure, put him on the phone, I'll have a chat with him. And that was my first conversation with Gwyn. Then we agreed then that he would come to, we'd have a meet up and uh, we'd see if we could, if we could help him and support him to do his national professional qualification for headship. And he came and we hit it off and, you know, uh, the rest was history. Really, he then started to do his MPQH. We employed him at Camps now to be our IT troubleshooter. Uh, on a, I think I think I paid him a pound a year, and he still says that I've not given him that pound, <laughs> which is grossly untrue.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's on the record now. <laughs> um, yeah. So so this phone call, he was in San Diego. That's right. Yeah. Um, but, and- I mean,
0: coming back to the, just previous to that, James, I mean, again, what, what really cemented, you know, our, our relationship, I think, both professionally and personally was that, you know, Gwyn reacted and supported and helped Mount through the fire. So very quickly, we were, you know, we'd uh, produced a, um, a, a video that we, we pushed out through Facebook. Uh, we we were using um, you know start to use cloud technologies to you know to create um, websites. I think it was cloud technologies anyway, but uh, you know so so straight away Gwyn's expertise and his and his company Real Smart's expertise meant that we got a website back up and running within within hours. So we had that direct communication then with parents. And so, all, a lot of the kind of what happened was people were saying, oh, there were Facebook pages, counts about rest in peace. And there was loads of misinformation about the school wasn't going to open. All the kids were going to have to go to this other local school. And just through that, we were able very quickly to say, don't believe If it's not on this website, ctc.mail.net or something, or like what it was called, it's not, don't believe it. It's not the truth. So, all these other kind of pages and websites just died. Um, so it was it was really really powerful, and we had to kind of pledge a laptop, and so so you know our, our relationship formed over that time, and then it was right after we'd got the new building and we were up and running, and um, we uh, I, I got this this phone call one I can't remember you know when, like Tuesday afternoon or something, uh, and it was Gwyn and he said um, he said to me <clears throat> I said oh mate, how are you and he said oh, I'm fancy. Andy. Andy, you, you, you've, you've got to see this. And I went right, okay. What, what, what are you talking about? He said, you, "You've got to, you've got to see this. It, it's not a piece of the jigsaw. It is the jigsaw." I said, "What are you talking about, Gwyn? I'm in, the, I'm in this, I'm in this school, and it, it, it's the jigsaw. You've got to see it." Aren't you? And I went right, okay. I said, "Well, where are you?" He said, "I'm in San Diego." all oh, right okay so I'm sat in a, in an office in a school in deepest darkest Doncaster and uh, Gwyn's enjoying the sunshine in San Diego you know um, anyway and, and so I said right okay well tell me what it's about and obviously it was high tech high and uh, you know he, he, he talked to me about what he'd seen and the impact that it had had on him and uh, you know the, the way that the students were able to discuss their learning in such a mature and, and cognitive way and metacognitive way. Uh, the beautiful products that they were producing, the fact that the school like an art gallery and, you know, all these kind of visceral, visceral things that were really quite, quite breathtaking. And so as a result, of that, so I said, right, okay, well, I'm, I'll come, I'll come and see it then. So uh, a few, a few months later, Kind of managed to get a little bit of sponsorship and, and went over with, with a couple of colleagues to have a look at High Tech High and spent and spent a few days there. And like Gwyn, it kind of it just blew it blew me away. Really, you know what what school could be and was um, was quite incredible. And it was a, it was a life changing moment really. And I can remember coming back on the plane and. Uh, Turn into colleagues and saying, "Well, it, it, it's an imperative that we do this, isn't it? We we can't we can't see that, and then come back and not do anything." Right. So it was a kind of almost like a moral imperative, I suppose. I, I felt that if I, if I didn't do something, or if we didn't do something, that you know we we were in some way not not being true to ourselves and, and, and what we'd seen.
2: Yeah. I,
0: we so- I, you know, and, and I couldn't handle it. It was quite a, it was quite a difficult thing to kind of manage emotionally because I was quite happy, you know, at, at the school I was at, we were doing really great stuff and I loved the community and I love, I love the staff. I love the kids. Um, and so we kind of came back and we thought, right, okay, let's see if we can do it at camps now. And, uh, you know we kind of ummed and about it we thought about maybe doing it in a staged way so starting year seven and build it through um but we kind of very quickly realized that that we'd probably have to do quite a lot of structural change and uh, you know the, the school had just been through the fire it had just been rebuilt you know it was like do, do we have the kind of you know, do, do we have the heart really to start radically changing a school that had been through such turmoil? Really, and I, and I felt that, that, that we kind of didn't have the imperative to do it there. And then I can remember Gwyn saying, Well, so if we're not doing it, you know, well, I'm, I'm going to open a school. And I, I can remember again the conversation clear as day. I said to him, Yeah, right. Well, what, how are you going to do that? And he said, well, I'm going to open a free school because at that point there was the, the, the programme for new schools was run through through the free school programme. Yeah, I kind of fell off my chair, <clears throat> um, you know, and uh, remember I'm from Doncaster and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, from a working class family. so." You know there are certain political allegiances that you you adhere to, and uh, I right. was different. And it was kind of when you're talking about a policy like free schools, it was you're joking, you know. And, uh, my family will never speak to me again. But um, Like I say in the book, it was kind of it was a split second. That I, I, not even that actually. Um, there was a, a, a very very slight pause, and I went okay. Let, let's do it and and i think that was because um getting a bit emotional about it actually was the that the imperative to try and replicate some of the things that we'd seen in high tech high mm. was stronger than ideology i think right and, and uh, you know i'm not saying that I don't. I don't have an ideology. I do, but it it almost transcended that, and it became. It was apolitical for me. It was. We need to do this, and you know, if that's the if that's the route that will allow us to do it, then I'm prepared to take that route. And and we began those discussions then about okay, how are we going to bid for this, and and. Uh, what might that look like at that point as well James we'd um when when we'd gone over to uh, high tech high Larry Rosenstock had Gwyn had asked Larry Rosenstock the CEO there as was um you know if, if he if he knew any other you know schools or people who, who would be useful to talk to and uh, Larry had put us in touch with expeditionary learning schools or EL schools over in the States. And that was obviously um, fronted up in terms of the academic side by, by Ron Berger. And uh, Gwyn sent, <coughs> sent Ron an email to say, you know, Larry Rosenstocks, pass your name onto us and could we come and have a look at some of, some of the schools, some of the EL schools? Uh, and uh, infamously, I think now, I think Gwyn writes about this in the book as well, and um, Ron ne- nearly deleted the email because he thought it was trash because of Gwyn's name. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Welsh name, and He thought it was some kind of weird, uh, you know, kind of uh, stalker or something, I think. Uh, but fortunately, he did open the email and uh, he responded to Gwyn and he said, come and, come and sit. Yeah, I'm happy to put you in, which with some of our schools and I'm happy to talk to you as well. And again, in terms of, you know, important moments, XP wouldn't have existed and wouldn't have happened if we hadn't have had that support from, from Ron personally and from EL schools as well, and, yeah. and was there too. You know,
2: he's an incredible guy and in his book, uh, An Ethic of Excellence. If anyone hasn't read that, get your hands on a copy. It's fantastic. So just in case anyone isn't familiar with them, but you just sort of like paint a brief like, sketch of, of what an expeditionary learning school is like or high tech oh, high. Hi.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll try and do them justice. I, pro- I probably will fail miserably. But uh, I mean, the, the actual curriculum model that we use is very similar to um, EL schools. So expeditionary learning is that students do, as the kids, as the kids were mentioning from XP earlier, they're, they're cross-subject learning expeditions. So the kids get their exploratory and uh, the students answer a guiding question and, and create a outward-facing product similar to High Tech High, where they where they create products that have agency. Right. Um, the, the the kind of key difference for us and when we went when we went to the el schools um in in boston and um you know new england uh, were that their curriculum model james whereas high tech high was it was just kind of it felt so free and uh, you know the kids were you know, held, held themselves to account for the, for their work, and if they didn't do work, then that was that was their issue. And uh, you know, then they they had fantastic college uptake. You know, hundred percent, of their kids got to college. So they were operating in in this kind of you know almost untouchable. I wouldn't say you know that they, they were doing fantastic work there. Simple as that, uh, and you know, as an English educator in an accountability system like the one that we have here, um, to just open a school and and, and be too free could potentially cause you serious issues. So what really attracted us to EL was when we went there was that their curriculum was a standards-based curriculum. And that was kind of language that as a, as an English educator, as English educators, we we could, or UK educators, we could kind of understand. So, you know, we thought we won't get closed down in the first week if we design a curriculum that is standards-based. So it can still be cross-curricular, it can still be expeditionary, like it is in EL schools. Um, And we can work through case studies, through connecting subjects together, um, through skilling up teachers to become multifaceted in how they teach across disciplines, Uh, and and that you can have subject integrity and and also expedition integrity at the same time. Uh, And so going over to their their schools, um, and they also had crew at uh, in the EL schools right. and if I go back to that kind of cultural point um, I can always remember we asked Ron when we went to see Ron Ron in Amherst he invited us to the officers there and he was showing us the, the you know yeah, he had boxes and boxes of incredible work that students had produced fr- from across the age range from infant schools you know elementary schools up to secondary or high schools unbelievable work you know um, products that were, were beautifully crafted, that had real uh, social agency, you know, projects about, you know, about where the kids had found polluted water and had written to the water authorities and had brought about significant environmental change. And we just done it, just done it. You know, I mean, I could wax lyrical about it. For for hours, Mm -hmm. and that was the kind of stuff that we wanted to do, you know. So (coughs) El were really, but we've used lots of their materials as a basis for how we how we've delivered our curriculum, Um, you know. And we're we're beholden to that organisation, and we are to High Tech High. What really struck us about High Tech High was that it was a school by design. Um, So there were design principles, which. the school was built on so not vague kind of you know visionary statements that are are so abstract you you know you you could just make it up and you can't realize it 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 was it was designed and so so we took that element of design principles as well to kind of uh, ensure that we were being true to what it, what it was that was the essence of an XP school, that we wanted the students to create beautiful work. We want them to grow their character. And, you know, we're finding that it doesn't compromise their academic success either, in fact. In yeah. the majority of cases, it enhances it. So, you know, so we've got, you know, I mean, go to the website, elschools.org, I think it is, is, is a... Is a fabulous place to start to look at some of the things that have been done in the in the states, and obviously visit visit the High Tech High site as well. And you know there were there were other educators as well that we we owe a great debt to, like Jeff Robin, who, who taught art at High Tech High, and you know that kind of quality of do the project first, so getting staff to understand variables and and actually create products themselves. So that they could use those as models has become a mantra for us now. We call it Jeff's Law. So the, these things are in our kind of DNA really, and, and but they both they both started with those visits to High Tech High initially, and then to EL schools.
2: Right, and so I'm just wondering, like, what's your sense of the extent to which there's a there's a sort of trade off that happens when you when you um promote these these other things like project-based learning and producing beautiful work and being able to raise money and to be entrepreneurial and so on mm-hmm. um do you, do you think that there that there is sometimes a trade-off between that and standards that that sometimes that kids like because I've sort of heard unofficially um from people who who um somebody who worked at high tech high who said like the kids are amazing and they can do all of this stuff. But their, you know their, their writing isn't as good as it might be if, if we'd have focused more on that, for example. And so oh. there's a sort of trade-off and then like we can actually we're okay with that. I'm quite happy for my kid to to not be able to do you know screeds of, of you know algebra, say, because mm-hmm. they, he knows how to do other things or she knows how to do other things. And what's your sense of that? Do you think that there's a trade-off or do you think that that's just like when it's yeah. not done well that that, 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 that trade-off happens?
0: Well, I, I mean, I can only speak for XP. I, I've only observed high-tech High and observed El. So, I, you know, I, I can't, I can't comment with authority. I, I can only say what, what I saw and the impact that that ha- had on me, and right. it was a really positive impact, you know. Um, but speaking from a from a XP point of view, you know, we we often talk about you know the, the Jim Collins from Good to Great, and there's that kind of idea of the genius of the end. And very often in, certainly in UK education circles, I don't know whether it is prevalent in other circles as well, but there are, there seems to be that false dichotomy. James doesn't it of kind of you can you can have you can have this, but it, that means that you won't be able to have that. So it becomes a you know the tyranny of the or, doesn't it? You know you can have you can take the kids can have loads of knowledge or they can focus on skills. You know and and it's to me, that's, that's, it's nonsensical um, because you can have both. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, if, if we were just purely focused on getting the kids through exams, would our results be better? I don't know, actually. Um, because looking at some... I mean, I, today, I'll give you an example. I've just looked at... Uh, there's a, I'm, I'm teaching a group in year, in year nine. So these are 13-year-olds. And uh, the, the, one of the students, Zach, in, in the Year Nine group has written this beautiful essay, which is an answer to the, the guiding question um, that had been set. And it, it's like a university thesis. You know, it's absolutely incredible about the Industrial Revolution and, uh, you know, is it, was it a force for good or ill? And his analysis. And it's about social housing as well. Um, and his analysis of, the, of, of that really complex issue is quite astounding. Now, you know, is that teaching him to write a narrative or whatever? Well, no, it isn't, but we do that too. Um, but what that's doing is it's bu- it's building his stamina. It's building his versatility as a writer. It's it's engaging him with real issues that he's going to face when he he leaves school. Uh, And he needs a a kind of... uh, You know, we want people... Don't we want our kids to be... I mean, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but, you know, we want agency in our kids. We want our kids to be agents for positive social change.
2: Mm.
0: The world will not get better unless we empower our young people to make it so. Yeah. If we purely focus on kids getting just GCSE grades or whatever, then you just miss so much that is just as important, if not more important than achieving those grades. And yeah. so I think it's because of, we're strangled by the system so, but what we've got to do is rather than moan about it, I think is, we, you know, we, we've got to just do great work. And that's what we try and do in our schools because we value, um, you know, more than just academic success. We want our kids to make the world a better place. So we give them the opportunity to do that. And as a result of that, they create really beautiful work that's, that's you know, lovely and that has a great agency in itself that then lives outside in our community. You know, you heard the kids talk about, they made a film about migrants in Doncaster, which, was, which would have changed their cultural, potentially embedded cultural views about migrants which were forced fed by right-wing press. And that also, you know, the the, the whole community's perception, that the kids did that. It wasn't me or the teachers, it was the kids who put that together and presented that and showed it. And it's an incredible uh, piece of work. And, you know, just as the working with the elderly, was an incredible piece of work. I mean, some of the impact that that had, you know, James, around, we got we got letters when when we've done that exhibition in the past, we have, we've got a number of letters where people wrote wrote to us, families wrote to us about um, the kids and the difference that they'd made to some to to some of their um, relatives, their mums and their dads who were suffering from early onset Alzheimer's, and uh, you know they were saying things to us like, my mum struggles to remember things, but she remembered a little girl who came in and uh, gave her a box of kindness.
2: Oh, wow. And
0: And it's the first time that she's spoken to us at length about something for months. You know, so I mean, what kind of a world do we want, is what I would say. And what kind of a world do we think, as educators, we should be responsible for? And yeah. You know, so I don't want to get too kind of poetic about it or, but it's, you know, we see it prosaically because our kids deliver stuff. You know, we've got a beautiful, um, the, the kids have just done The Power to the People and they've produced a blue plaque for, to celebrate the role that Doncaster suffragettes played in that movement. You know, and it's kind of, it, it's, th- those are really important things because the suffragettes even can be seen as, you know, perhaps something that's distant from our community. It's something that happened in London, you know, with Pankhurst and, you know, and, and middle-class privileged women. Well, you know, it wasn't. That, that struggle was, you know, was much more expansive than that. and It involved yeah. people who lived in Doncaster who were just like their mums and sisters. And so we've got to celebrate that. Um, you know, and we've also got to, you know, expose our kids to the fact that, you know, there is there are some uh, s- some viewpoints that want to diminish the the right to protest and to speak out and to speak up. Yeah. Um, and so it's important that the kids understand that, and and you know they get a, an holistic view of um, of what of what the world world is like. So I think that was a really long-winded way of saying that I don't think that necessarily you have to compromise standards when you're doing something which actually connects and deepens learning and that it perhaps isn't just purely focused on getting over the line.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's my sense, and, you know, that's what we showed in a small way on a a much smaller scale in, in, in that PhD study that I mentioned, that those kids... You know, we were doing lots of project based learning and oracy and we did similar sorts of things where we were going out into old people's homes and and what have you. And uh, and they their results were, you know, the best that that school had ever seen. And so I think that it is doable and it doesn't have to be a trade off, but I think that it's sometimes sort of portrayed as one.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and it's important to realize that, yeah, the, the, the genius of the and I'm going to I'm going to hang on to that. And so, so when did it open XP?
0: XP, 20, 2014.
2: 2014, and I love that it's just like, because like, I love that I didn't really hear much about it because some free schools, naming no names, <laughs> like shout loud and proud about what they're doing, you know, and you hear about it all the time but XP, you've just been sort of quietly just getting on with, with knocking it out of the park, and it's incredible. Um, and, and so I'm going to ask a few sort of quick-fire questions, if I may. One sure. is, um, why the name? Why XP?
0: Oh, wow, right. Well, th- this is one for Gwyn, really. So we, we were kind of, we were thinking of, of what we wanted to call the school, and obviously we'd visited High Tech High and EL, as i described before, and uh, we, we just did a kind of brainstorm uh, in, in Gwyn's house, and we kind of found that lots of words, so we're expeditions, exploratory learning, experts, expansiveness, you know, lots of the words were coming out with XP in them. Um, and so, you know, we kind of thought, that's really weird, isn't it? All these words have got this XP in them. And uh, Gwyn went to, uh, left the room, and he went to his son, I think it was about... How old would it have been then, Jack? Probably eight or something like that. Uh, and he said, he said to Jack, Jack, what what does XP mean to you? And Jack said to him, without a moment's hesitation, it's what what it it's what it takes to build your character. And we kind of, you know, it was a jaw dropping moment. We thought, what that this? So we found it and. Why do you say that so well? On computer games, you get XP points, don't you? Experience points, and they grow your character. So, uh, from that, we we thought, well, we can't we can't call the school anything else, really. Right. So, okay. Uh, so, so it. back, App Harry takes a, a massive slice of credit for that. Who's <laughs> now doing incredibly well as well. He's, he he came to the school and he's now um, doing his A levels and and doing fantastic stuff, really proud of him. He is an incredible human being.
2: Oh, lovely. Thank you. Um, and the next one is, why why the motto? Why, um, why compassion as the overarching thing? And I, I mean, that's come through strongly in what you've been talking about already, but I'm just interested to hear about the thinking about what making that really, really stand out.
0: Mm. I, I think that came from, um, it comes from the connection to Outward Bound. Um, which is above all compassion, um, and in terms of our character traits, and again the kids mentioned these: you know, respect and courage, craftsmanship and quality, integrity, compassion. Then we also have our howls, which are work our get smart, be kind.
2: So, so just uh, come come the, how, the howls—that's H W L. Can you just say what that is again?
0: Well, that's habits of work and learning. The Howells. Got you. So. Um, and that's, and that's the aspect of character really that we focus on. So, and, and that's not not dependent on ability, is it, you know? And, and that's why kids flourish here. If you work hard, you'll get smarter, but we want you to be kind, you know? And, and that's, and, and it, it kind of became the most important thing. If we're not kind to each other, we're not crew. If we're not crew, we're not going to get up that mountain. The kids climb a mountain together and spend a night in the wilderness, climb a mountain together on the first day of school. And then we replicate that throughout their time at school. But you can only do that if you're crew. And you can only do that if you're compassionate to others. And so it just surfaced as, you know, if we were to encapsulate what we do or what we what we want from our kids in one sentence, then that's what it is.
2: Mm. It's incredible because like so much of education is competitive isn't it like like the the exam system turns education into a competition where people are competing for you know finite number of resources or a finite number of a grades or grade nines or whatever and um and we live in a world that's made of other people, don't we? And, and there's the, there's a better than and a better with. And you need both of those things, like a healthy dose of competition. There's nothing wrong with it. But you also need collaboration and to help kids to learn better with other people. And and often you see the sorts of things, the sorts of values and the, the howls and so on that you've just been talking about. You often see that like all schools have got some mission statement on their on their website or a, a a, a slogan about unlocking potential or preparing kids for the future or, you know, helping kids to be kind and respectful and, and entrepreneurial and so on. But then you look at what they're doing on a day-to-day basis and you think, well, I don't see how, how doing that is going to lead to that, to that bold vision of like lifelong learners that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like you've sort of almost like backwards planned it from, from thinking about what is, what are the kinds of young people that we want to produce and then what's that gonna what's it gonna take to get there? And you know, yeah. spending a week and also just I imagine quite a bit of financial resource that's put into you know um uh taking kids away um on expeditions and uh and taking the time out of the curriculum to you know resources in terms of time but also money, taking the time and isn't there some quite intensive induction process for teachers? Is there like a six-week Induction process or something. There is, yeah.
0: Yeah, we, we do that. And we, and we do exactly the same with new teachers as we do with our kids. So the first thing they do is they get in a minibus um, when, you know, restrictions permitting. We haven't been able to do it for a couple of years. But they get in a minibus and they uh, go out into the wilderness and they spend a, a couple of nights out there and the clan mound together and they address and answer the guiding question, what is crew? So we start with culture. But what we do as well is we make those abstract concepts concrete. So it's easy to say, isn't it, that we want our kids to show respect. It's easy to say that. Yeah. It's much harder to articulate what that is, what it looks like, you know, what it sounds like, what it feels like. So we invest time in doing those things. You know, the kids mentioned the um, community meetings. You know, the, and the the kid, the, the the main thing that students do in community meetings is that is that they appreciate each other, and they appreciate staff, and staff appreciate each other, and appreciate the kids as well. You know, people tend to hone in on that. Oh my God, do you make people publicly apologise and make them, you know, feel small? And it's it's not that we don't do that at all. Yeah, the kids choose to do, choose to apologise. They're not forced to do it. And that's because of the culture is so strong. Some kids, it takes them a long time to be able to do that. Um, You know, and, and some kids do it on other kids' behalf, you know, because they want to support them because they're part of their crew. And so it is very, very much that idea of, you know, of diversity and belonging that we allow our kids to express who they are You know, I think Deck mentioned it about the uniform. It was really interesting, wasn't it, that he talked about, um, it wasn't because he just wanted to slob out in his clothes that he wears around around at home. It it, it gives him the choice. Yeah. And the responsibility. You know, we have a dress code, so we don't, you know, we wouldn't allow kids to come in with offensive slogans on T-shirts. And the kids have, have formulated that. They said that wouldn't be right, would it? No, it wouldn't. So we won't have that then. No, we don't want that at XP because we want to respect each other. Yeah. You know? so, and so you use the kids as, as drivers for that. And, and you're right, yeah, we, we then, uh, you know, try and immerse staff before they even start teaching expeditions and being part of crew. I mean, part of crew, James, we have 45 minutes every day. And in fact, we have more, we have a flexible spot on a Friday as well. So we have more on a Friday. We have... Uh, an additional hour of crew on a Friday, you know, as well as the forty-five minutes in the morning, um, and that's a big chunk of time. Um, you know, sometimes people have said to me, "Well, you know, you could be doing maths interventions or English interventions in in that time." And yeah, we could, um, but why would we? When you can build their character. Where when we can um, allow them to freely express who they are through crew, to feel that they've got a safe place where they can grow and uh, and develop, you know, it, 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 that's exactly the reason we don't need to do maths and English interventions, is because we've got crew, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and the and the kids, are, you know, will. We'll, well, they buy into it, and, and they want to be part of it. You know, it's because it, it, it's just—it's just such a strong message to hold, isn't it? That we are not just responsible for ourselves. You know, we're responsible for others too. And so we have this concept of stewardship, is really strong in our schools. You know, the the the, the idea that we're, we're stewards for the world. You know, we've got to look after the world. You know, we don't own it it doesn't, you know, it, it's not our property. We're, we're keeping this for future generations. We're stewards for our community for the same reason and we're stewards for ourselves and for, and for each other. And so that, that kind of really strong emphasis on, you know, achieving together. You know, somebody else's success is my success. And, uh, you know, and that's why the kids will spontaneously applaud if somebody's done something that's that's really beautiful, if somebody's showed kindness, if somebody's done an incredible piece of work. You know, here that is, that's acknowledged as being something which adds to the collective, you know, and that is, and, and that's an important thing
2: yeah 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 it's incredible and so this this idea of agency and it was interesting that deck picked up on that with regards to uniform it was fascinating um agency comes up a lot in these conversations um and autonomy and choice and so on and what i had a really interesting recent episode that was all about collaborative decision making about a study that had been done of teachers who make decisions with their kids about uh, you know about the layout of the classroom, about curriculum, about how they respond to behaviour incidents, and so on. Um, and often that doesn't happen. Often, you know, decisions are made for kids rather than with them. Um, and schools are often quite fundamentally coercive places because they, like, kids are being, you know, told what to do and when, and there's consequences if they don't they don't play along. And so, you know, I, I, I used to work at a place called the Self Managed Learning College, which. Um, is w- where literally it's self- the kids self-manage. They can do what they want when they want. They 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 there are tutors there. They can ask to have like an hour with a math tutor, say, or a science tutor, or whatever. But often they don't. Often they just want to 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 pursue their own passions, and that's very, um, you know, very sort of laissez-faire. Um, and self-directed, essentially, it's self-directed education. Um, and then there's, at the other end, you've got these sort of super strict schools. Where would you place XP on this spectrum? Do, would you say that it's a sort of it's quite an autonomous place where kids are involved in making lots of decisions? Or do you think that it's quite sort of teacher led or would you place it? Does it does it move along that spectrum at different times? How would you how would you characterize it? Yeah,
0: that's a great question. And I think we move along the spectrum
2: actually at
0: at times i mean we certainly don't move into um we're not we're not a conformist school okay so and i think that comes through the language that we use you know i i I don't believe in um and and i can't see what benefit it provides to make kids move around corridors without in silence or something, I, 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 and that's just my own opinion. I can't, I can't begin to understand why that would be deemed a good thing. Um, you know, we, we, we don't, we don't do it in in workplaces, and we don't do it in theatres and cinemas, and you know, it's like it, it just seems a bit bizarre that. But, yeah, you know, it's it's I, often
2: I, it's often justified on the basis that, of like reducing bullying. The the corridors can be quite sort of um, you know just hectic places with kids shoving past each other and so on and I think that that's often what it and, and to save time that it like, it makes it more efficient so that the kids are out of one lesson and into the other quickly I think that the, as far as I've understood it that they seem to be the main sort of justifications for it about efficiency and a sense of like I think it's done with a with a you know with good intention that they're trying to make things safe for the kids. But it seems like, a, to my mind as well, I, I agree with you that it seems like an over an overstretch and that it's actually, you know, it's, it's taking away too much from, from the kids. Um, and, and, that, and again, I,
0: I don't want to get into a, a kind of, uh, you know, I don't want to set a stall out of particular. I don't, I don't really want to engage engage with that because, you know, we we don't have that and our kids are safe, you know, and, and our kids are allowed and, and our kids are disciplined and they, they move around without, we don't, you know... With the. If, if there are issues of bullying, then, then they're sorted, you know? So it's kind of, I don't know, I, you know, I, I, I'm of a certain position and it's certainly not there. Um, I find that, you know, that's coercive and controlling. And I think what we should be doing is, we should be um, allowing our kids to grow and flourish, and to make and to learn how to make important decisions that are based compassion and kindness so you know in terms of that spectrum question um our our curriculum is is probably the least open part of we don't particularly um talk to our kids about what they think they should learn and i can see the the value in that Um, and i know that there are some fantastic examples big picture and other organizations who who work who work with students very effectively in building their passions and, and things like that, and that and that's just a way of engaging some students, isn't it? Um, but we we've decided to go down that standard space route, and so it, our curriculum is teacher designed. Although we have we listen we you know we obviously encourage student voice and we listen to what students say about expeditions and about crew, and they have they have decision-making in that, but essentially that's designed by teachers. Um, but interestingly, you know, we've got <clears throat> a, you know, a very restorative approach to, in terms of our um, engagement with kids as well when they, when they make mistakes, and that's, right. that's really tough. And, so uh, do
2: you not have detentions?
0: Um, well, again, it's kind of, it's like language, isn't it? It's, what, we, what we said to the kids was, that it was, uh, if if the kids have not completed this particular work, we said, we we need you to come to extended study. So we have an hour after school, but we did pre-COVID and we're just starting it back up, actually, where from 3.30 to 4.30, we keep the school open so the kids can crack on with expeditions or products or with any extended study they get. So we don't call it homework, we call it extended study because some of the kids do all of their extended study in school. Um, and then there was a couple we've had instances where we've had compulsory extended study. So language is really important, I think.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: the, I think there, there's, there's a real danger, isn't there, in education that we use kind of punitive language that is somehow criminalises, so it becomes, you know, detention,
2: that's yeah,
0: meaning to be against their will is very strong, isn't it?
2: It is. Like uh, detention uh, centres are yeah. not, fun, not fun places. Isolation. Uh, yeah.
0: As well as, you know, do, but we get the kids to do In fact, that's, a re- that's an interesting one. I, let me give you this concrete example of that, because some people might think I'm some kind of woolly liberal, uh, uh, you know, and woke and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I, but I, I just want to tell you this about language use. So we we used to we did call when we first started. If the kids had done something wrong and they had to reflect on uh, their behaviours, and they had, to, they had to think carefully about what they'd done, what why, you know, what were the reasons for them doing it, what was the impact of what they'd done, and then they had to put it right. Um, that would sometimes involve parents. It sometimes involve, you know the other the people who had been upset by the kid, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That kind of restorative approach, which is is really, really effective. Uh, we found it to be so anyway. Um, because we all make mistakes and we all do stupid stuff. And, you know, we need to learn from those mistakes rather than be executed uh, if, if you make those
2: mistakes. Well, there's really so, valuable learning to, that comes out of that, isn't there?
0: Yeah, of course there is, yeah. You know and I mean? Obviously, that doesn't mean that we have low expectations of how students behave towards each other. We have the highest expectations I've ever experienced in a school we expect our kids to be kind and compassionate all of the time to each other, and that's demanding and it's hard and it's tough.
2: Mm, it right. really is.
0: Anyway, so we, we used to, and we used to call it isolation. So the kids would would be out of class, uh, and they'd have to go through this kind of reflection process, to, to be set at work and to do the work, and then and then eventually we'd repair what they'd done, and whatever that might might take, you know, might take half a day, a day, or whatever. And uh, I had a delegation of kids who came to see me, and they said, "Sir, we just want to have a talk to you about um, about isolation." I went right. Yeah, we just feel that um, the word isolation is not appropriate. I went right. Okay, go on. What, what? Well, and they said, "Well, it sounds like prison, and we're not a prison, are we?" I went, "No, we're not." <laughs> And so, so what do you suggest then that we should call it? And I said, well, because we go and re- we reflect and re- we repair things, why don't we call it reflection? And I went, right, okay. And so since then, it's been called reflection. Beautiful. Um, you know, and, and that language is really important. So do we keep kids behind to catch up on work? Yeah, we do. Do we call, phone parents and say... Billy's going to stay behind tonight because he's not worked hard enough in his session. Yeah, we do. But we don't call it detention. You know, we call it compulsory extended study because you need to catch up, Billy, because you've, yeah. because you've not done that work and you need to do it. And then it also allows you then to talk about why that might be, you know, what have been the barriers to Billy's learning. So we have a narrative for success here as well. So we kind of, we, we our narrative for success is that the, the most important thing is, are our kids safe? So uh, are, are they safe? Yes, great, we can move on. Are they attending? Yes, brilliant. Are there any barriers to their learning? Right, what are they and how can we remove them? And then are they working hard? Are they getting smart and are they being kind? And so, you know, language, language is our culture uh, and it's really important the type of language we use with our young people. So I'm unapologetic about that, actually, because I don't want kids to feel that schools are like prisons.
2: Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And it's really interesting that, like you, like you say, you're describing many things that happen in other schools, but the, the language creates a completely different reality, even if, like, in actuality, it's quite similar. So so I've got one more question about the school, and then I'd like to just broaden this out and look at the bigger picture, if we, if we can. Um, and that is about this, the size of it. Why, why only 50 kids in each year group?
0: Well, that, that came from um, our design principles, which in the first instance, we kind of hijacked high tech highs. And one of their design principles was um, personalization. And so we want essentially the reason that we are deliberately sized is that we wanted to know all of our kids because there is um, an importance in having that knowledge, isn't there? Um, And being able to understand what motivates kids, what what stops them being motivated and what we need to do to motivate them again. So the, the knowing kids and having those deep relationships with kids removes barriers to learning. Um, and so that's why we, we, want, we, we didn't want to create... Uh, I mean, I think personally, and again, this is a personal view, um, and I'm sure that some people would argue vehemently against this, but I think secondary schools are too big. And because they're very big, they become unwieldy, they become impersonal, um, and that can lead uh, to... Than being places where you kind of dehumanize really you're a number on a list or whatever. We we didn't want that. We wanted we wanted our school to be at a human scale so that we could we, that we knew of our, all of our kids. And then as we, and when we opened XP East, what we wanted to do was we had to model that you can actually scale this model up. So in year seven, there are a hundred kids across the two schools, but the two schools. So we know what right. those kids in those separate schools,
2: and are they right next to each other? Right next to each,
0: yeah. They're on the camp, same campus, so it's kind <laughs> of you know, not not that kind of idea of schools within schools as well would work with our model, which is not a new idea, is it? You know, um, nope. to to, uh, to scale up, you can you can break things down and make and make them personal and more human. I think, and so so that was the driver for that, James.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and this is a conversation that I've had several times with previous guests um, on the podcast about the dehumanisation that happens in very large schools, and I've known that from working in them where there were kids, you know, and lots of the bullying that happens, and I, I, remember, I remember this one incident where there was a kid who pushed a, pushed a Year 7 down some stairs, and I I sort of, like, touched this kid on the shoulder and just went, mate, what are you doing? I didn't even know who he was. He'd only just arrived at the school I think he'd been excluded from his previous school, and he sort of wheeled around and had this. We had this horrible sort of confrontation, um, which would never really got resolved. But it was just su- such a like. It just illustrated the the problem of like I didn't know who he was. He didn't know who I was. There hadn't been any sort of like oh, there's this new kid who's joining in year eleven, and here's his name, and can everyone say hello to him. He didn't know who the year seven kid was. He just pushed a faceless, you know, like object down the stairs. He didn't know that it was like Billy or somebody's brother or kid or whatever um and it, and it's a big problem that you know like kids don't, like you were talking about safety I don't think that it's safe to be in so like psychologically safe they might be physically safe but psychologically if you're if you're going down the corridor and you, you're going past you know the, the size difference between a year seven and a year 11 is huge you know there's these big six foot guys with beards and it's and it's not it's not a nice feeling to feel like you're you know you're vulnerable even if they're not actually doing anything to you at that particular point in time the, the potential of it you know that sense of, of of a lack of safety is is really significant and so I love that you've that you've stuck to that principle and people talk about the, what's the, what's the guy's name the anthropologist somebody's number dun dun somebody's what's his name it's dunlop's number or something Did, are you oh, familiar with this no no i'm not no, no. Oh. I'm going to have to look that up but it's uh it's this guy who um he says that there's roughly about 150 like people that would have would have existed when we were like hunter-gatherer tribes you know evolutionarily we sort of we've evolved to be able to deal with about that number of people um mm. and 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 some places they've taken that on board a little bit like you have um so for example as I understand it in in Scandinavia I can't, it might be in Sweden I can't remember the if this is the, the correct country but they have like you know like office blocks like like civil service or tax office blocks say and they have 250 like room for 250 people in, in one block and then they build another block when it's when they, when it's time to expand and so on. So they they, they reckon they understand that, that that's around about the limit of how many people you can sort of hold in your head at any one time. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's very smart and I love that you've stuck to your guns with that and and the, you've made it work because like economically you would like. I think that lots of people would think. Well, how can that work if you're having to employ science teachers and math teachers and art, and have all of the resources that go into all of that? Um, how does that work with with so few so few students?
0: Yeah, well, it does. And I mean, we're at, we're in we've got a surplus um, across our trust and within our schools as well. So, you know, I'm I'm not the financial expert, so you'd have to speak to Gwyn about. The detail on that but we've we, we managed that I think we do that through a number of ways really you know it, it's the we don't have departments so we haven't got a maths department that, ha- that has a maths budget that is ring-fenced and that you give to the maths department and you know it's like 2,500 quid and the you know desperately spend it uh, and then come back and ask if there is any more money or, or whatever it, we, we don't do that so we, we allocate funding to expeditions so teaching teams across disciplines have to share that money um, we resource all of our classrooms as well so that that doesn't that doesn't come out of any expedition funding either um and we also we, you know there's a there's a high premium in our learning expeditions, that the students go out of school on field work, whether that be to uh, museums or art galleries or into the field itself, coastal regions, into marshland, uh, into um, uh, universities. Uh, And all of that we we finance as well. So we don't ask parents to fund that because that's about equity. and and we ensure that all of our that none none of our students because of disadvantage miss out on any any opportunity also that that's that's all paid for Um, and we manage it because of economies of scale i think uh you know there's a school of thought that says small schools are inefficient well we're not
2: yeah and so so the teachers teach across different subjects areas so so like if an expedition involves aspects of like you were talking about science and history and art and drama and what have you, yeah. are they teaching across all of those different domains?
0: Yes. Yeah, they can do. Um, so we tend to, it tends to be human and STEAM. So we have human teachers, which is humanities and arts. And we have the STEAM teachers who are science teachers and uh, maths teachers and art teachers as well. Um So, you know, the creative element exists in both of those teams. But yeah, any one time, you know, I've taught expeditions where I've taught the humanities. So in the Be Kind expedition that Declan was talking about, um, you know, I've taught in that expedition in the past and I've taught um, an English text. Um, I've taught the history and I've taught RE, you know, we've looked at faiths, so I've taught about Sikhism and Christianity and Buddhism and various other world religions, but we've connected those all together. Uh, but yeah, you know, I've, I've been uh, one of the couple of teachers who've, d- who've done that and we, we, have, we have subject leads. So I have subject expertise. So my subject expertise is in English. So we have English for staff and we train up our teachers to become great teachers of English, but also to teach history and geography and RE and human um, and citizenship. So, and that that's, and some people just flabbergasted by that as if it's some kind of, we're breaking some kind of unwritten rule or something that you're not supposed to do it. And it's just bonkers. You know, I, I'm an educator and I, w- I want to learn how to teach I've done maths for staff sessions, which I found incredible, they were brilliant. And then I went on and supported, I didn't actually teach uh, maths, but supported uh, students who were, who were doing their GCSE maths. And I was able to do that because I was skilled up to do it. And so it's about just, it's about building uh, expertise and capacity and capability within your, within your teaching cohort, within your teaching staff. Um, so
2: does this, does this approach persist throughout, like, key stage four? So when they're in exam, in, in, in exam classes, or are, are, do they sort of have specialist teachers when they get yeah. to that stage?
0: It, it's almost, it's almost ine- inevitable that, it, that there's more subject specialism as the kids get into year 10 and 11, but it's not exclusive because we've, we've you know, skilled people up to teach in that way. So some of our finest... History teachers, um, one of our finest history teachers was is actually a drama teacher. That was what she trained in um, and getting incredible outcomes with the kids. Uh, one of our science teachers, he did a degree in biology and, and PE, but he was essentially a PE teacher, but he's an absolutely superb science teacher. Mm. But, you know, we don't try and you know, there's a danger, isn't there? You just say, "Well, you're a science specialist, so that's all you can—that's t- all you've got to offer." <laughs> and it's like we're much more rich in terms of what we can offer than uh, perhaps what we what we think we can. I mean, you know, Martin Seder was one of our founding teachers. He was an incredible guy who's now working up at XP Gateshead because we went to school up in Gateshead, and he's is from from the northeast. He travelled down for to Doncaster from Whitburn in. Uh, Sunderland for five years, every day to teach XP, and and he's he's a, a polymath He, he can, isn't is a, a great musician, an artist, um, but is is he, he teaches maths and science. Um, so right. you know it's kind of when we appoint teachers to come and work at our school, we appoint. We appoint people who are either are great teachers or who will become great teachers, and you know that through the way that they interact with the students when they come to the school. I don't know it because they've got a first from Oxford in astrophysics. It could be a terrible teacher. I might have tons of knowledge and be an expert in that field, but you know, we, we appoint people in terms of their character. And who they are, um, and then we can train them all.
2: Yeah, yeah, fascinating. And so, um, so you've you started to grow legs, and so you, like you say, so there's XP and then XP East, and then there's there's two other schools, aren't there? In the in the so you became a multi academy trust. Mm-hmm. Is there one in Gateshead? Yeah. Um, and what's the fourth one?
0: Well, we've got we've got three secondary schools. So um, we've got XP, XP East and XP Gateshead, but then we've got primary schools who are in our trust as well. Um, so we've got Greentop, who were the first primary school to join us, who we're, were informing our practice now and have actually informed our leadership structure, um, which has been fantastic. It's been fantastic to work with the primary sector to improve what we do at secondary. Um, I mean, somebody once said, actually to Martin, that uh, XP was like a primary school for big kids. And I think there's some truth in that, um, but we, we've learned a lot from primary colleagues. So we've got up, and then some other schools have joined us as well at primary, um, Plover Primary. These were all local schools in Doncaster, um, Norton Campus. Um, and Carcroft. So we've, we've got a number of schools now, but we are, you know, we are really discerning in the, the schools that we, we bring into the trust, that they've got to be kind of right for, for us. We're not kind of empire builders or land grabbers, put it that way.
2: Yeah, well I'd like to ask you about the the world domination question <laughs> because I remember you saying that before when we spoke uh, before Christmas about that you, you you know you're not trying to build an empire here but equally like if we sort of zoom out I think that there's a strong case for having something a lot like an XP school in every locality that that the parents could have a, an option to send their kids to like there's not very much diversity Within the school system. Mm. Um, and I think that there needs to be because it's not working. Like a one-size-fits-all system mm. clearly doesn't work. And the, you know, people talk about the forgotten third, and we've got this very narrow way of measuring success, according to GCSEs. And we know that around one-third of kids fail um, yeah. to, to, to succeed in, in, on those terms. But there are all kinds of other ways that we can celebrate. Uh, you know the developments and the the milestones that young people achieve and it seems like you're doing that really effectively and so just sort of zooming out I mean have you got have you thought much about this like have you like I mean you can't I I don't know of a multi-academy trust I mean some of them for example I think the largest ones have got about 600 schools or something but -hmm. there's 30,000 schools in this country and there's a <laughs> there are other countries in, on the planet as well as you may have noticed. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, have you thought much about this, about how how these ideas, without becoming this, this mega, like, monolithic, massive multi academy trust, how how this might spread in through other means?
0: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we have,
2: um,
0: and you know, we, we've talked a lot in the past couple of years, really, about growth. And, of course, growth doesn't necessarily mean that you have to get bigger um, and take on more schools. You know, you you can grow in lots of other ways, can't you, in terms of supporting and modelling how things can be done. So this is just a way of educating. And I wouldn't be arrogant and presumptuous enough to say it's the way to do to, to, you know, there are lots of different models that are very successful. Um, yeah, but you know, but we but we have created a model here that I think, and people do. We get lots of visitors, James, from across the country, from across the world, really, who come to look at what we do. You know, as I said before, there's provenance to what we do. Um, we, you know, we owe a huge debt to high tech high and to. Uh, EL schools in in the US because we've modelled what we do on what they did, um, and so we we're, we're here to um, have discourse with others who might want to have that discourse about what school could look like and can be like, and and the impact that that has. So in a in a system sense, you know, we're always up for working with other schools showing schools what we do learning learning equally from them so you know it may well be that we do expand you know I hope, I hope that that's something that we do but you know we'll do it in a really considered way um, rather than just thinking that size equals success because I'm, I'm not I'm not sure it does um, you know we, we want to scale up, um, if you get too big, too quick, you sometimes lose the essence of what you do. Uh, and, and you find that even, you know, we found that even when you went from having 50 kids to 100 kids, you know, all of a sudden you've got to deal with scale and, uh, you know, messages that can become diluted and core principles can become, you know, less concrete. And so so there, there are all kinds, all different kinds of challenges around that. Um, but, you know, we've always been, we're open source. You can go onto our website. There are examples of expeditions of how we XP is a good example of that. We're doing some work at the minute where we're trying to codify our practice and we'll make that public and other schools will be able to access that and utilize it if they wish. If they want to use it or, or adapt it and, and change it and adopt it for their context, so so we're, we're really open, I think, to conversation. I think from a personal point of view, you know, I, I, you said you mentioned at the start that we were kind of quiet and went under the radar and just did stuff, and I think you are you are judged by what you do uh, and not by what you say. Yeah, and you know what we wanted to do here was to model things out and to show that it could that it could work and that you know you can get students creating beautiful work that has purpose and authenticity that is beautiful, that has agency that um, ch- that changes the world for the better. And so that you know that that conversation we want we want to now have, because we've got the evidence to show. I think we we want to we want to show more people. But we we have been having that conversation right from the right from the start, really.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: you know, but but we'll we, but we want we want to we want to be part of that, that conversation,
2: you know. Yeah, well you, you absolutely should be, because you like you've made them like so many of the other models that we look at, like things like SMLC that I mentioned earlier, the self-managed learning college, it's like a very small. There's only about fifty kids in the whole place, uh, age ranging from about nine to sixteen or seventeen, um, and there's democratic learning communities. There are alternative schools. Um, mm-hmm. There's things like you know Montessoris and Steiners and what have you. Um, but it's, it's, it's quite like the examples that are that are scalable that can succeed within the within the terms in which schools are currently judged for better or, or worse by Ofsted and according to their exam results. You created a model that that works and that should be scalable. Like you know, it, it, and it, and you did it. You know, you, the other school burnt down in 2010. Within four years, you you created this this incredible school. And, you know, so it doesn't take that long and like you've done all of the hard work and the heavy lifting in terms of thinking through the design principles and so on and like the financial modeling around how small schools can work. Um, it's a beautiful thing. And, and it's, it's very exciting, I think, the, the prospect that this could scale quite rapidly. Um, and 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 it doesn't have to all be free schools either, but like mm-hmm. the, 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 you could have schools that already exist in that convert to this way of working, uh, and possibly even having schools within schools. So mm-hmm. that's very exciting. Um, mm-hmm. I've got three more questions, if I may, and we'll do them as a sort of quick fire round. But first, I just want to go back to that thing I mentioned earlier. It's called Dunbar's number. All oh, right. number. Right. Yeah. Um. So just the, the first paragraph from the Wikipedia page. It says Dunbar's number is a suggested cognitive limit to the number of people with whom one can maintain stable social relationships. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the number was first proposed in the 1990s by British anthropologist Robin Dunbar, who found a correlation between primate brain size and the average social group size. By using the average human brain size and extrapolating from the results of primates, he proposed that humans can can comfortably maintain around 150 stable relationships. Um, so that's interesting. So, so all right, so um, here's my final three questions. Um, one of them is like positive, so so like big picture stuff, they're thinking beyond beyond XP, but just thinking about, you know, education. And it's, this could be, you can you can take these questions at any level, so it could be at the level of policy, it could be stuff that's happening overseas, it could be at the level of a classroom that you're that you that you're aware of. Um, so the first thing is, what are the positives? What do you think we're getting right? that you think we, we need to somehow sort of boost the signal of or recognise um, that, that actually it's not all doom and gloom, that actually, you know, we're doing a pretty good job in many ways. So what, what would you say are the positives for you?
0: Um, OK, God, that's a tough question because, you know, I'm that kind of obsessed with what I do here. I sometimes don't look out as much as I, I should, perhaps. I think that um, over the past, few years has been that acknowledgement i think that of um a more rounded education is is important i know that we've got i know some, some schools are very narrow narrowly focused on outputs but the, i think there are lots of schools that still do wonderful things with their students in terms of extracurricular provision the duke of edinburgh scheme the you know, the sports uh, uh, activities, tr- performance and drama and, and things like that. And, I know that, and that's, I know that some of those things are at risk, you know, and that's why we, we focus so much on that, that creative aspect of our, our curriculum. You know, we want our kids to create beautiful work, whether that be a film, a play, a beautiful piece of artwork. And I know that they're sometimes compromised, but I do think there is still a strong voice for, for maintaining and, and keeping those things it just needs that needs to be uh, magnified I think
2: mm. you know, yeah thank that, you that really does I mean
0: I, I, I find it really difficult James to speak system-wide because you know it's a kind of you know you can very quickly just go down the rabbit hole of things that are just that aren't that aren't very good you know um so yeah I suppose. You know, and that, that focus on character, I've noticed that certainly in you know the, in schools that I visited, that there is that kind of idea of you know kid, kids developing oracy and um, you know doing things beyond just examinations. But I could be wrong
2: yeah no the, yeah. But, yeah. I, I think that's a great answer um and it's not one that i've had before i don't think um it's, it's a yeah i think it's i think we do do remarkable things uh in many schools along those lines like the extracurricular stuff the stuff that isn't the bottom line that, that, that Ofsted's going to look at necessarily, but the stuff that you know, that, that's the most important to the, to the students. So that's a good one. All right, the next one is um, the challenges. What's, what do you see as the major challenge or challenges that we face on a system level?
0: I think that it is um, the, 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 main, the main challenge, I think, is, is moving away from one-dimensional approaches to education that because of that our system our accountability system it's it's almost it's been the Frankenstein hasn't it that's created some of the some of the worst things in our in our education at the moment which is that that obsession with results it's a results orientated industry um, And we know that learning is much more complex than that. And I don't think that the way that students are assessed is particularly helpful to show what they can do. I think it's an archaic system that we have to decide whether people are good or not so good at doing things. Um, and, And, you know, I think that's a big challenge that we need to, which the pandemic has brought out as well. Um, I think equity is a massive challenge as well. You know, um, the, the idea of, you know, social mobility and people kind of scrambling up some kind of ladder to success when, you know, that's at the expense of potentially of others, I don't think is a good thing. I think, you know, that, that idea of, that's why we have that idea here of powerful knowledge that we learn, we learn stuff to do good, um, and, and I prefer that model to having a few crumbs off the top table and that, that somehow defines us as human beings. It, it doesn't uh, and it shouldn't. Um, so I think there, there are some big challenges around ideology, actually, which, um, you know, we, we need our, our kids to be grappling with those and we need our kids to be finding the solutions to those. You know, I mean, you know, I talked about the stewardship of the world, and that's why we're focusing on, you know, the climate emergency, and, and we and that is deep rooted in our curriculum. Social justice is another strand that we, that permeates our curriculum, and diversity and belonging as well is is another one. So. We need more of those. Need more of that. And, you know, I think you mentioned at the start. You know, it was almost kind of, whose curriculum is it anyway? You know. Um, yeah. You know, and and it that th- there are some interesting discussions that we need that we need to have because it's too narrow.
2: Yes. Yeah, I I agree, and and it's interesting the 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 ideological dimension that you mentioned, And that's that's never going to go away. Like we're always going to have competing ideologies um, and people have got different ideas about what education is for um and therefore we don't i don't think we necessarily need to try to wrestle control away or to try to push things in a different direction i think that the answer is just to diversify the system and to yeah. say that like if there are multiple purposes if you're a traditional teacher and you want you're a parent who wants a traditional education for your kid and your kid is happy and thrives in that environment mm-hmm. and some do many do then that should be an option available but when, when the vast majority of schools are all pursuing this knowledge-rich curriculum, you know, like direct instruction from the front of the classroom, mm-hmm. strict behaviour management, or sometimes de- described as warm strict, but it's essentially, you know, more, yeah. like more strict than, than it has been the case in the past. Um, that's, not, that's not a place where every kid can thrive. Um, mm-hmm. And so we need to have something that's a lot more dynamic and responsive. That is able to cater to all of these different needs and the, just the diversity of human experience, um, mm. and so it, it seems that that's the answer is not to necessarily to to, to try to beat down one ideology with another one, but oh. just to say, well, let's like let's all have our cake and eat it. You can have your one, and and we'll have we'll have some some schools that we like the look of. Yeah. Um, Genius of the end again, isn't it? You know, I think yeah,
0: yeah, that kind of idea of. You know, of a of a plural system is is certainly you know. I mean, that that's 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 fine and that's a noble pursuit, isn't it? That you know, some people like blue, some people like red. You know, <laughs> I think do, do we want? Or I think if you asked any anybody, do you want do you want your young people to be kind to each other? I can't think of anybody who would say no. You know, do, do you want the kids to make a difference to the world, a positive difference to the world? I, I can't. I don't think anybody would say no. I don't want that to happen. Yeah. You no. Know, I want people to get along together and to and to recognise their differences and celebrate them. I can't think of anybody who you know would. But but there are people out there who might say no. I don't want to do that. So I think you're right. I think there is a there's a wider debate there. But uh, you know. I, you know, it's not it's not world domination. I don't want, I don't want every school to be an XP school. It's that's not, not that's not the intent. We're doing what we believe is right, and the kids are responding to that. And it, and most kids flourish.
2: Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I think we've actually just answered the th- so the third question is how how do we fix that challenge? But I think that we've just sort of answered it. Yeah. Um, by through diversification and by doing the, the sterling work that you're doing and spreading these ideas very generously. I saw recently that after there was a nice piece in the Times, wasn't there? And then you like uh, made, I think the, the Howie XP was was made freely available, um, at least for a while. I don't know if it still is, is it? I think so, yeah. I think yeah. A- So I'll, I'll dig we've that. we branded
0: it. We've, 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 there is a second edition and we've rebranded it. It's now got a kind of... Fluorescent pink cover rather than a fluorescent green, so we've gone <laughs> to kind of the next punk colour that we could. I would have thought the third edition will probably be yellow, uh, and then we'll have we'll have gone through those primary punk colours, won't we?
2: That <laughs> I love it. So on the on the front cover that, that that could be that might be my final question to you, which is a question that you ask yourself on the front cover of How We XP. It says, "What happens when two punks from Donny decide mm-hmm. to open a school?"
0: Yeah. That's what happens. We get XP. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we get XP. It's, it's incredible. Well, thank you, Andy, for for sharing your time so generously today, and for bringing along Deck and Garage to to share their thoughts as well. It was lovely to chat with them. Um, it's astonishing what you've achieved. You must you must sort of just sometimes. Do, do you ever find yourself pausing and thinking, "Whoa, that's actually pretty amazing." Like like you don't want to be too self congratulatory, but you must think. That's pretty cool. We've done something pretty special here.
0: Well, and it, yeah, it's noble work, isn't it? And, you know, it's done by the teachers here, the parents, the community that we've created and most of all the kids. And, you know, it is, we do sometimes stop. We don't do it enough, I don't think. And, and we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And, and there are risks to us from the accountability system. You know, believe me um that there are risks there so we, we've just got to keep fighting the good fight I think and and modeling things and doing good work and showing that that students can achieve can create beautiful work and become beautiful people um, and, and if they do I think you know we've made a small contribution to making the world a better place so we're I am proud of what we do and we're going to keep keep doing it and we're going to keep, trying to improve
2: what a perfect note to end on well thank you very much I've really enjoyed uh spending this time with you and I look forward to seeing how this how this goes next so there's a film coming out soon isn't there there is yeah
0: yeah that's been I think that's been premiered I think it's down in London um there's there's a couple of there's a couple of places where that's going to going to be launched yeah so watch this space yeah that'll be that'll be nice yeah i'll be sure to
2: keep people updated with regard to that and if you want to if you want to um come to the Rethinking education conference in september it's going to be in london so a little a little um trek down yeah. from donny but well, you're yeah. very welcome bring some kids it's on a saturday um we'd love to have you there because i can't think of, like when we're talking about rethinking education you're, you're doing it man like like this is uh, an amazing thing and i think that the 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 to the extent that we can spread the word and share these ideas and that they're they're, they're so accessible and what i love about that book as well is just that it's laced with humor like it's it's clear that you sort of although you've done this very serious endeavor there's a lightness to it you know there's a there's a the way that you sort of that you portray the story it's just it's funny there's loads of jokes in it (laughs) quite good ones um and that's that's important as well right is to sort of is to to um to not to not to not carry it too heavily you know like because it's, it's these are serious you know you're talking about social justice and migration and climate climate emergencies and so on like there are so many serious problems that we need to solve mm. um but it doesn't mean that we can't have a laugh while we're doing it right oh, um, and no. that, com- that comes across strongly in your work so um that's lovely to see i'm, I'm glad it does
0: and i think even when you do when you uh Engaging with, you know, one of the greatest things about the work we do with with migrants was the fun that that those guys had with our with our kids. You know, I mean, that was the most breathtaking moment of that expedition was where where the kids just engaged beautifully with with some people who had been through terrible trauma, who were smiling and and laughing and joking. you know, learning should be fun, right? So, uh mustn't forget that. Time is a measure of change We don't have much
2: time Time is a measure of change